You are listening to Wilhelm, a film-centric podcast for film lovers of all kinds. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Wilhelm, I am your host, Ben Beck, and we continue on with Spooktober. Uh, this episode, we are putting our focus on a director of mystery and suspense who is so iconic. Uh, he pretty much influenced a bunch of other people who came after him. That's right. We're talking about the one and only Alfred Hitchcock, and we're going to be revealing and discussing our choices for our top five favorite Alfred Hitchcock films. Would have been funnier if I said John Carpenter and just threw everybody off. uh but that brings me to this week's special guest host she is one of the hosts of the run for your lives podcast uh and a first timer for wilhelm please welcome my friend daphne backman yay i'm so glad to be here ben i'm so excited and you know what my mom be super excited that you pronounced my last name correctly how else would you pronounce it (laughs) some people say bachman even There's though no it's written it? as no, I know, but that's what they do. And so my mom is always happy when they pronounce it correctly. So I'm going to have to get her to listen to this just so oh, that. Take a step back, can... man. Yeah, exactly. Bachman. Bachman. There's no, no. <laughs> they do sometimes. Yes. I'm not no. kidding. What do they think you are? Oh, oh God. Is it who, <laughs> use, who uses the pseudonym Bachman? Richard Bachman. It's Stephen King, right? Yeah, of course yeah. it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I had to second guess that. (laughs) Come on, just go with your gut. But this is going to be an interesting episode. For starters, uh, you and I have been planning. This one's been in the works for (laughs) a couple of months. Um, And it's fitting now that we're doing it for October or Spooktober rather. But it's also kind of interesting because of all the directors we could have chosen for a Halloween themed uh, month. Hitchcock might not be people's first choice because he's more suspenseful and mystery than horror. Yeah, he's the one that keeps you on the edge of your seat wondering what the heck's going on in the film at times. He's not the one that's going to have the jump scares, except there's a couple. There are a couple that fall into that category. Yeah. That may or may not be on my list. Oh, there's a couple that may or may not be on my (laughs) list as well. I'm not going to be surprised if we have a couple, if we share a couple top five. I am pretty sure that you do not have my number one on your list or on your honorable mentions list. We we shall see. It's (laughs) going to be interesting. But this is also going to be an interesting episode, too, because, you know, last week when I did when I had. Uh, Pete Mitchell on and we did top five vampire films like a lot of those movies are movies I rewatch constantly because I love that genre and I love those movies Hitchcock with the exception of my number one none of the movies in my top five or in my honorable mentions are movies I have seen in the last decade it's been a long time since I've seen any of these movies with the exception of one I have seen three of them. One more recently than others because I just rewatched my number one today because I 
was just getting in the zone for to talk about Alfred Hitchcock and one we covered on Run for Your Lives not that long ago. And then there's one other one that I see every, usually every year I rewatch it just because, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them I'm with you. I haven't watched them in a while. I don't, I don't get up on the weekend and say, Oh, I need to go watch vertigo or I need to go watch frenzy or that's just not the kind of mood I'm in. Like I don't go back to Hitchcock unless I'm really, I see something that reminds me of. Yeah. The and movie. you have to be put in the mood yes. to watch Hitchcock. Yeah, you do. You can't just, it's not the type of thing that you just pick up and watch. It just doesn't happen that way. You just have to be in the mood. Yeah. It's not, he's not one of those directors that you look at, like you'll just be sitting at home and be, oh, I, I need something to watch. Oh, let me watch this. Yeah, uh, let no. me break out this Hitchcock <laughs> classic. It just it doesn't happen. Like, you're right. You need something to remind you of the movie. Like you maybe you saw a list of of like top 10 iconic movies. And this Hitchcock film happens to be on it. You're like, oh, I haven't seen that in a while. I should give that a watch. Exactly. That's really how you go back and revisit Hitchcock. Yeah. Unless That's you are true. just absolutely a super fan of Hitchcock. And then you're just constantly watching I consider myself to be a pretty big fan, but I don't watch them on a regular basis. Like there's just, there's so much to watch right now that that's new that I don't often get the chance to go back and rewatch some of my old favorites. It's just, yeah, there's just too much, too many good movies out to, so I don't get the opportunity. I'm so far behind on shows alone (laughs) that I don't have time to watch a lot of movies. And I try my best to fit them in as prep for the episodes of this podcast. But even in the 18, 19 episodes of this podcast I've done so far, I already have a list at least 20, 20, 20 miles, (laughs) 20 (laughs) movies long of movies that people have brought up in their top five or their honorable mentions that I have never seen and want to. And you love movies like I, I consider, love them. It's why I do this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I consider you to be someone who enjoys movies, not one particular genre, but lots of different types of movies. So that surprises me that there are that many that you haven't seen. But it also surprises me that you've done 18 or 19 episodes of this podcast because I feel like you just started last week. Well, how do you think I feel like I <laughs> I, I listed when I when I published last week's episode of the vampires and I put in the episode number, I was like 18. I was like, geez, <laughs> man, I, th- I feel like I just started this like a couple of weeks ago and it's been, yeah. it's been going on four months now almost. Yeah. It goes so, fast. I just, and, and that was with taking a week off in there mm-hmm. somewhere too. So I think this episode actually does mark like the four month mark. Oh, wow. Since cool. I started the podcast. Yeah. Um, I just hosted the 55th episode of Run for Your Lives, and I still feel like we started that like four months ago. Like it just doesn't seem like it's been a year. And you and Pink also celebrate like every 25. We do. We (laughs) can do it because we do what we want. It's our podcast. True. I every podcast I've ever done, I've I've celebrated the hundredth milestone. Um and a lot of other podcasts do that too. But hey. You do you. It's your we show. We do. Yes, we do what we want. This That's is what the we're 18th, always saying. This is the 18th episode <laughs> anniversary. 
that. Well, no, this would be the 19th episode anniversary. Uh, or wait, is this, this, this? I don't remember. This might be 17. <laughs> this might. Be, I think this is actually 17. So yeah, it's so just it's, fun. I mean, yeah. it's fun to look at how you started and where you are going and where you are now. And for me, I'll never go back and listen to our early stuff because one, I don't like to hear myself talk. And two, again, we've already talked about it. There's just no time to go back and do that. My spotlight podcast has been going for about seven years now, and I will never go back and listen to, I won't go back and listen to anything from the first four years because it's completely different. And the first year or two, forget it. I will never, you could pay me and I won't go back and listen to those episodes. (laughs) I went back like six months in because I wanted to listen to how I sounded at the beginning and then how far I had come because I was trying to gauge that. But I, yeah, I edit the episode and once it's done and I just, it, it's, yeah, it's over. I'm, yep. I don't think about it anymore. That's how I am. Yeah. Too. Like, it's, yeah. it's like, I don't, need to li- I don't need to listen. I lived it. That's right. Just let it go. Move on to the next thing. There's always something new. And when you're doing a weekly podcast, you have to do that because there's always something new that you have to be prepping for. So. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about this podcast, and I, I, I feel like you probably can share this sentiment too for Run For Your Lives, is that it's been this many episodes already, but there's no end in sight because the number of topics I have is hundreds i have yeah like anybody who's applied to be a guest and this is going for all, all, all the listeners out there um i put out a list when i was first getting ready to to start this and i was lining up posts and that list is i think about 250 topics strong yes i remember and, when you were putting that together and it was and we huge were titled then. The episode. yeah yeah and i've <laughs> since thought of more and then mm-hmm. there's always listener submitted ones too yeah so and I could go back and revisit any of the ones I've already done because yeah. as Pete and I mentioned last week for the vampires, like I could do vampires again next year and yes. with a different person and it would be a completely different experience because their top five will be completely different than Pete's and mine might even change by then. Yes. So I think, I think tastes change. I think depending on the time of year or just lots of factors you change the order of where things are on a list just because oh my god i rewatched this last week it has to be number one now it was number four before Mm -hmm. you just you just get too hyped up and get excited and if you know your list might change the movies themselves may not change but your preference for them may change and or or you could or you could do an episode like the edgar wright episode that i did with your co-host paik our our friend paik where there's there are only five Edgar Wright movies. Yes. With the exception of the Sparks Brothers, which is a documentary and Last Night in Soho, which hasn't come out yet. And where like that was literally Paik. Obviously, I knew his number one was going to be Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. But with me, like anybody who listened to that episode, you heard me say it. It's like, OK, just take all five of these movies, throw them up in the air and whatever order they land in. That's my top five. It's hard with those movies, though, because they're all equally amazing. And to try to put one over another is and, really hard. And I'll watch one. Like, I'll watch Hot Fuzz, and I'll be like, oh, this is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Mm-hmm. And then I'll watch Shaun of the Dead, and I'm like, no, this is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. <laughs> it's just 
the, okay, Scott Pilgrim is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. It's like, uh, this is impossible. It's impossible. There's, yeah, it, you can't. I think with some directors, that's just how it is. Yeah. But that's I'm really why. Look, go ahead. I'm really looking forward to Last Night in Soho because that, based on the previews, looks incredible. But I'm that's why. I'm excited to see. I'm, I'm wrapping up Spooktober with uh, top five horror films because. That is a topic I plan to expect that to be an annual episode every October. Yeah, definitely. Because there are constantly, constantly new horror movies coming out. There are constantly ones I'm discovering for the first time that have been out for a long time. So a different guest every year will bring in a different top five and Mm -hmm. my top five will probably change every year. Yeah. With the exception of my number one. My number one has not changed for years. <laughs> and, no, have, and no movie has come close to touching it as my favorite. There have been so many cool directors, like actors turned directors, that are bringing cool new ideas to the table. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. Because we've been able to enjoy that over the but, last couple of years. But let's talk out for Hitchcock. Yes, um, that's we'll, why we're here. <laughs> we'll talk a little more. Believe me, not ha- not having seen these movies for a while, uh, this might be a quick conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll get back to run for your lives and stuff at the end because I'm going to give okay. it, I'm going to give you a chance to let everybody know where they can listen, what's coming and all okay. that fun stuff. All right. Um, let's jump into our top fives. Okay. Uh, Need to let you know, first and foremost, that neither Daphne or myself have discussed our choices to one another beforehand as not to influence each other. So Daphne does not know any of my top five and I don't know any of hers. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, just a fair warning, as always, if you haven't seen one or multiple of the movies we're going to mention, there's always the possibility of spoilers. So be prepared. But these are Hitchcock films. They've been out for longer than I've been alive. So we're past <laughs> the point of spoiler zone on yeah, any of these definitely. movies. Definitely. Any of these movies. For sure. Uh, that said, let's jump into the top five. Okay, I'm ready. What, what have you got for your number five? Okay, so my number five is the only Alfred Hitchcock film to ever win an Oscar. It is Rebecca, was released in 1940. That is actually, based... that is one of my honorable mentions. It is. Okay, yes. good. I could not leave this off the list because there are just some really... It's based on that Daphne du Maurier novel. Mm -hmm. And the story concept was cool and different. And that's one thing I loved about Hitchcock is he was always trying to bring things to light in his films that were not the norm. And we really needed that because a lot of movies, I think, from that era, there were a lot of love stories and different types of films. But I really like what he did with this one. Because it was super creepy the entire time. It was just such a creepy film. And you really felt for the lead because she was in a situation, in a complicated situation with marrying this widower after only knowing him for two weeks. And then moving into his beautiful house and dealing with the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, who was a psychopath, basically, Mm -hmm. and trying to sabotage the relationship at every turn. And there were a lot of complications in there. Things weren't simple. It wasn't a simple story. And I like 
that he tried to stay true to the novel when he was making the movie. Yeah, that's a good choice. Like I said, that's one of the ones that I had in my honorable mentions. And that is that is one of the like and there's a couple like I think every one of the ones in my top five are pretty well known Hitchcock mm-hmm. movies. But the the ones in my honorable mentions, including Rebecca, are some of the lesser known mm-hmm. um, Hitchcock films. So yeah. I'm glad you threw at least I don't know what your other top five are. So I'm glad you threw at least one of those into the yeah. top five. I had it, to. It makes me feel better knowing that all five of mine are like popular <laughs> Hitchcock films. It um, was really hard for me to choose between number five and number six, because number six is my number six, which is in the honorable mentions, is one that I also really like. Because it's a complicated story. It wasn't a plant, a fancy or positive story at all. It was about trauma. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard for me to pick between the two. But I had to go with Rebecca because I just feel like it gets overlooked, even though it won an Oscar. Yeah, that no, makes I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like you said, it was based off a novel. It won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great film. but It's just a lesser known Hitchcock that. Yeah, it's one of those ones I kind of wish more people would check out. There's so many, though. I mean, he has 54 films, 54 films. yeah. And some of them are just you don't hear about because they get overshadowed by some of the movies that are in our top five. <laughs> well, there's also the fact, too, and, and this will come up in some of the other movies, too, that Hitchcock used a lot of the same people. And who were who were big stars at the time. And Rebecca did. And Rebecca's not really, from what I remember, not really one of those movies. Mm -mm. There's not a lot of familiar faces in Rebecca. So it didn't have a lot of popular appeal or draw in the star power. So that could be a reason why the movie was a little overlooked. He did that, though, sometimes with some of his films, he would pick. He would want the story to be driven like for the film to be driven by the story and not by the faces. So he would pick those actors and actresses that were not as well known just because then the story didn't get overshadowed by people, you know, focusing on who was in the movie. Well, and sometimes those are the better films yeah, because you're not drawn to the attention of the star power. Like you can focus more on the story being told because it's being told by somebody that you don't know. So you don't, you don't automatically identify an actor with a different character than the one right. they're playing on the screen at the time. Yeah, I I agree. And there have been a few films that he did this in, and I really appreciated it. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, that that was a good choice. Like I said, that was one of my honorable mentions. All right, I'm glad uh, they, that it made your honorable mention list. That that makes me happy. Yeah, <laughs> and so I mean, it's funny too because I've mentioned this on other episodes too. It's really difficult putting together the top five sometimes, but I think the one thing that has stayed constant with the exception of the Edgar Wright episode, mm-hmm. uh, the one thing that has stayed pretty constant in every episode of Wilhelm is that my number one is always the easiest choice. Yes, it's, it's, it's always the one I'm like, this this is without a doubt my number one. All these other ones are a crapshoot. Yeah, I felt like my number one was the simplest. My two, three, and four, they could have gone in any order. I had more agonizing over five and six than I did anything else. Well, because, well, when you agonize over five and six, it means one of them doesn't make the top five. Yes, and that's hard because there were were just some, like you said earlier, there are some movies that just stand out 
and others get overlooked. And so, yeah, my number, my first yeah. honorable mention is one I tossed up whether or not it should be, it should be in there. Yeah. It's hard. So, so hard, but it's yeah. good. Um, that brings me to my number five. Uh, my number five, again, is a movie I haven't seen probably in over a decade, but a little bit of a backstory. It is the movie. I tend to choose movies. The reason like we, we all choose our favorites for different reasons, but I like to choose movies that sometimes I have a little bit of a connection to. Mm-hmm. My number five is actually the movie that introduced me to Alfred Hitchcock. And it was actually through that star power that I mentioned. I in high school. I was in a play called Harvey. Okay. uh, That the movie version had Jimmy Stewart playing the lead character. Yes. And that led me down watching other Jimmy Stewart movies, which led me to 1958's Vertigo. Ooh. Which which you mentioned a little bit earlier on. Yes. That's in my honorable mentions. That It, it was not my number six, but it was in my honorable mentions. Yeah. But I mean, it was it was basically the star power of Jimmy Stewart that led me to to give Vertigo a watch. And I ended up really enjoying it because it was such an intriguing story of just this detective who could no longer work because of his fear of heights, which leads to all these other actions that follow and him having to overcome these fears or at least not even overcome, but at least have to force to face them face them yeah as he's going through and i just found the story so intriguing and that was like i said this was one of my first forays into hitchcock i knew of hitchcock mm-hmm. um well this is one of my this is my foray into hitchcock outside of a particular other yes. really popular horror movie <laughs> yes uh, horror hitchcock that i'm not going to name because i don't know whether it's on your top five okay or it might also be in my top five. So, <laughs> um, but this was my first foray into Hitchcock outside of that movie. Okay. Like that's that movie, in my opinion, the one I haven't mentioned, it was mainstream Hitchcock mm-hmm. because everybody, even people that didn't watch Hitchcock knew that movie. Yes. This one, you had to be a fan of Hitchcock to enjoy. Yes. And, and I, this is the one that got me into, got me into Hitchcock. So this is, that's the reason why Vertigo is my number five. Well, remind me to tell you about another Jimmy Stewart movie that you should check out. Cause I think you would enjoy it a lot. All right. And it's not a Hitchcock movie, but Hitchcock did work with Jimmy Stewart a few times. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the main four because he liked to work with the same, like you said, Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, Grace Kelly, Jimmy Stewart. Those are the ones he worked with the most. Yeah, like he, exactly. Yep. Yeah, over and over. Um, so yeah, so it's that was that was uh, my number five. All right. Well, that, that yeah, number so that four. brings me to number four. And sticking in the fifties, I am going to go sticking in the fifties and Jimmy Stewart. I'm going to go with one that was released in 1954 and it's called rear window that was my number six <laughs> then that we was get the, to talk about it that's that great. was the one that <laughs> almost made it into my it's my first honorable mention that's the one that almost edged out vertigo but it was that connection of vertigo introducing me to hitchcock that i was like mm-hmm. no Vertigo's got to go in it does yeah i think some just affect you more than others or you go back to like you said, looking at the one that brought you into it. Yep. 
And this one, I was one of the earlier ones that I watched. I was really lucky. Um, I, I've always loved Hitchcock anyway, but I got to reintroduce myself to them again in the 2000s because some skaters that I knew from my time in the figure skating community gave me a gift of the first two seasons of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and a box set of his biggest movies where I rewatched Rear Window and it reminded me. I mean, I'd already seen it, but that was the first time I had rewatched it in years. I loved this story. I loved that we got to see Grace Kelly. I loved, you know, the fact that they actually remade this film with Christopher Reeve much later. Well, not only that, but that was something I was going to bring up too, um, that I wouldn't have had the chance to do if it didn't make your top five. <laughs> this it's a story that has been retold in different yes. ways. Yes. Because it has. not only was it remade with Christopher Reeve, but it was also remade in God. I want to say. I can't. Oh, man. Are you um, thinking Disturbia? Was Disturbia. Yes. Yeah. But I was trying to think of the year that Disturbia was. I think it's 2007. Yeah. Um, it's in but that Shia range. LaBeouf. Yeah. 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 Uh, re, it's it's basically rear rear window. It is being retold. I like, yeah. though, that they did that and it was on a twist. Like they didn't just have a classic remake. It was with a twist because it was not he didn't have a broken leg. It wasn't the same thing. I like that it was a little bit different the way yeah. that they told that story. I, you know, the premise of this movie is basically this photographer named Jeff has a broken leg and he has a nurse and a socialite girlfriend. And he has taken, instead of watching television, he's basically looking out his window at the apartment next door. He's being a peeping Tom. He is. Yeah. And he witnesses what he thinks is a murder. And the he spends the whole time trying to figure out what's going on. And he, yeah, yeah, he basically becomes obsessed. Yes. In the the idea that he witnessed a murder. Yes. And there were several close. I mean, his his poor girlfriend. I mean, she got in it with him and there were <laughs> there was a particular time I didn't think she was going to make it out. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, but I really like this story. I like his use of like the camera near, you know, near the end when the killer realizes what he's up to. He uses the camera and the flashbulbs to kind of distract him. And I just, yeah, as a photographer, I kind of connected with that. I, I just thought it was really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great movie. And like I said, it was very difficult to bump that one out of my top five. Yeah, because of the fact that it's 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 not only a great story and really well told, but it's it's kind of a fixture in pop culture mm -hmm. in that it, it's been referenced in other in other projects. It's been remade. I mean, and I know like a lot of people. I don't know if it's so true today because everything gets fucking remade now, but like back in like the 80s the 90s and even and even the early 2000s if a movie got remade it whether it was well done or not it was kind of homage to the original mm -hmm. because you were paying tribute to the fact like okay this movie was good enough then that we decided to do it again now everything gets remade so yes it, you what can't I, really say that now what i really like though is 
there's a difference between movies being remade and movies being reimagined. Yes. And I, Pake and I recently covered a movie that I'll talk about at the end of the podcast, the early version and the reimagining. And one of the cool things about that is it wasn't a shot for shot remake. It was a different story. It had some similarities, but it was different. And you can take an idea and reimagine it and make it your own and make it cool. You don't have to try to take something that someone else did and then just remake it for the box office. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's a good that was a good choice. Yeah, so that was my number four. Uh, Which leads me to my number four. Uh, My number four is a 1954. So we're staying in the same area. We are. We really are. Uh, Another 1954 Hitchcock film with uh, starring Grace Kelly. Because, again, (laughs) he uses a lot of the same actors. He does. This one is based off of a stage play. I went with Dial M for Murder. Ooh, that is one I considered for my honorable mentions, but I had to keep the other ones in there and I didn't want my list to be too long. Oh, trust me. If you've listened to this podcast before, <laughs> your honorable mentions could have been 20 movies long because that's the way it's been before. Um, Yeah, this is just one of those ones that I had to do because, again, it's one of those. It's one of those great. I, I love stuff that's based off the stage mm-hmm. because when it's done well, it turns out really great. Yeah. And this is one of those examples too, because this is one of those ones I actually went back and read the stage play after having seen the movie and it's pretty well adapted. Like there's mm-hmm. not a lot of changes to it at all. Yeah. Um, and other people have tried to adapt it as well, but anytime you hear dial M for murder, it's made famous by Hitchcock. Yeah. Like Hitchcock is the one that adapted it properly. He brought it to the forefront. He made it. He didn't go in thinking he had to make tons of changes. He just brought it to life in a new medium so that more people could could see it. Yeah. And that is also one of the great things about filmmaking. And it's it's just a great who it's just a great whodunit with a bunch mm-hmm. of twists, you know, throughout it. And it's just I if we learned anything from movies like Knives Out and such that have come out recently a good whodunit will always keep you always always keep you entertained and paying attention the entire movie yes and dial m for murder is just another one of those great movies that you just you get so enthralled in what's happening you just you don't stop watching yeah it definitely pulls you in yeah yeah i like that one grace kelly was such a i mean she was a treasure she really was grace as an actress she like she was gorgeous yeah for flawless yeah Yeah. she was just she was an amazing actress she was beautiful like she was just it's no wonder people like hitchcock and other directors used her i mean because if you look at her body of work it is huge it is and she left it all behind yep so yeah she has well it's not huge huge It's, it's about 30 I feel like she made a big impact in a short period of time. And I think that's exactly it. Like she looking at her body of work, she started working in 1950 and her last movie was 1956. Yeah. She made 30 film, 30 projects in six years. 
Yeah. Like that was just, you know, that was yeah. amazing. Um, that leads us to number three. All right. Number three, I'm 100% sure is on your list. So I hope you're ready to talk about it early. All right. 1960, Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, Janet Lee, based on the novel of the same name. It's Psycho. That is in my top five. That is right. actually my number two. All right. So not your number one. Okay. So I'm glad I didn't steal that thunder. Okay. This one, I don't even know what to say about it because I feel like it's already been said before. And Agreed. This movie. Let's just move on. This movie stands on its own. <laughs> it really stands on its own. There were so many things about it. It was shot in black and white. It, you know, the iconic shower scene still, even though it's in black and white, it freaks me out because it's so the blood going down the drain still ugh, the knife. Yeah. Well, it's chocolate syrup going down the drain, oh, but I know no. what you mean. Yes. <laughs> but, but the visual. Yes, exactly. Still gets me. Well, it every was, time I watch it. Well, not only is it iconic, but it's the first time like Hitchcock took a risk he with really that scene did. because it was the first time there was ever that kind of violence um, being done on screen. Um, and it was the first time that it's not nudity, what we know today. Right. But that was the first that was one of the first instances ever of their quote unquote nudity yeah. in a woman naked in the shower. You don't see anything. It's all covered. But even still, like that had never been done before Psycho. Yeah, I read a bit of trivia um, last week, actually, because I was doing some research for something completely different and not connected to this. It was the first time they showed a toilet. In a movie. I think I heard that before, too. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? Really? Yeah, I think I've heard that before, too. Yeah. First time that they showed a toilet. Um, Yeah. Which is just weird. I know. I know. <laughs> it's not something. Yeah, it's not something that you. I mean, I don't sit around wondering when was the first time they showed this? And, you know, it's not something that's on top of my mind. Yeah. And it's no, the first it. time that you have someone that you think is the main character and they go into the movie and they sh continue to show you this. And then the main character is just and you realize that she was never the main character at all. She wasn't the focus. The focus was really Norman Bates. Mm -hmm. He was the main character. But you don't realize that until she's gone. And then you're just like, what? You know, you feel like the carpet's been ripped out from under you because you just. It's not what you expect. And Hitchcock had a really, he was an expert at doing that to you in his movies. Like you think you know what's going on and he would flip it, skew it, mix it up. And you would not have a clue until yeah. you get to the end and you're like, what? That's how it ended. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're introduced to this character in Janet Lee, and, and she's taken away mm -hmm. halfway through the movie. Yeah. You know, and it, it completely throws you off and few movies and other movies have attempted that since. Yeah. Very few have gotten it good enough that it throws you. Yeah. This was a, like, I feel like it was the first time it was done. And also you think it's that she's killed by a woman. 
Like you don't even know that it's Norman Bates, really. Well, that's what was striking about that movie, too, is the fact that one, you're thrown off by, like you mentioned, the fact that someone you thought was the main character really isn't the main character because she's killed off very early on. Yeah. But um, you're also I can also tell you right now that the the first time you see Anthony Perkins in that dress and the wig and he comes with the knife like it's it's startling. It is. And it's very, very memorable. It um, is. It's not like anything that had been done. I mean, this is just, again, Hitchcock twisting things around in a way that you're just like, okay, just join it, be on the roller coaster ride and have fun because that's what you're getting. And it's totally okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And this, this was actually based on a novel too. It's another one that he took the novel and adapted it. Um, it was a novel and the novel was called Psycho was by Robert Block and it was based on Ed Gain I guess that's what I had read okay I yeah that I was not I was not familiar with I wasn't aware of yeah so I have a couple other notes but I'll save them for when we get to number two okay because this way I I at least have a couple something yeah there's one more thing I want to bring up too uh Vernon Herman it was the composer on this film. And that's someone that Hitchcock had worked with quite a bit. He loved what he did with this film, with the score. So we doubled the salary and mm-hmm. he thought a third of the movie's effect actually came from the music. He's and I have to wrong. agree. He's not wrong at all that oh. you, how many times <laughs> have you watched other movies or seen television shows where someone does the knife slashing action with oh, that like because oh. it's iconic. So he's absolutely right in saying that a third of the movie was the music. Yeah. It's and iconic. He, and I think it helps that he worked with Herman on so many of his films that, I mean, the composer knew what Hitchcock wanted. He probably was able to anticipate, you know, exactly what he was looking for. Yeah. And I think that when you have that synergy with someone, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Go to the one, you know, you can count on to bring it home. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. So that's my number three. Uh, All right. So my number three uh, is we're actually going to stay in the same genre. Uh, And that is horror because we're going to go with a little film uh, that starred Rod Taylor and Tippi Hendren. <laughs> uh, Birdemic, shock it. No, uh, The no. Birds. That is my number two. That's your number two. Well, okay. So, so this our, is good. We can segue yeah. right into doing my number two with your number three because I have notes and stuff. So we're good. It's just this is a movie that did to birds what Jaws did to sharks. Yes. Like it made people afraid to go outside like it's one thing like jaws made people afraid to go in the water but you were able to avoid that i know people to this day who still will not go into the water because they are afraid of sharks but when you have something like this where you're taking something you're taking a, a creature that we honestly take for granted uh yeah like birds because they're they're just part of our everyday. We just yeah. kind of ignore we them. We see them. Yeah. And you take day. a creature like that where they're flocking together, 
not just one kind of bird, but <laughs> every kind of bird. Everything. They flocking together. Yeah. Flocking together to do what they do. And then you walk out of a movie theater after that. You're going and looking up. You are looking, looking. up at the sky. <laughs> and yeah, bird, the birds did to birds what Jaws did to sharks before yeah. Jaws did it. Definitely. Which is more important to note. Because yeah. Jaws wasn't until... 75. Late. Yeah. So, yeah. This is 1963. So yeah. this is 10, 12 years earlier. This was done. Yeah. It also, Jessica Tandy was in this, too. She Jessica played, Tandy was in this movie. Yep. Yeah. She played Mitch's mom. Yeah. Yeah. I liked Melanie, and I loved that character because I felt like she was very clever in her... The way that she played the character really balanced well with Rod Taylor's Mitch. I feel like they really worked well together. This is another movie, too, that like I'm kind of glad it has. Well, it hasn't been remade successfully. No, there have been attempts in some weird ways to do things. Birdemic was a attempt at a recreation of the birds. Oh, man. It is iconic in its own way. Not for being good. No, <laughs> definitely not. Because it wasn't. It's not at all. Um, I think the only other movie I can think of that maybe in its kind of in its own way took what the birds did and did their own twist on it. And again, in my opinion, some people might disagree with me on this, but again, this is not successfully, is the happening. Because Agreed. you took a yes. force of nature. Yes. That was very low key and overlooked, and mm-hmm. you turned it against humanity. Yeah, it's a very similar story. It is. I the don't happening... think it was successful because I hate. <laughs> no. I thought that movie is horrible. Oh goodness! Yeah, we covered it on Run for Your Lives. Oh, I know you did. And people actually like that episode. Like, it's gotten a lot of traction, but it is not. I mean, when I first saw the happening. I actually liked it, but when we rewatched it to talk about it, it does not. Um, <laughs> it did not hold up. It's so it's funny. Like, it's, it's one of those movies that, like, they say <laughs> movies like some movies don't hold up over decades. Uh, the happening did not hold up over weeks. No, it didn't. Like you watched it two weeks later, it's like, wow, this movie didn't hold up. At I all. didn't I just, watch it. I again. just watched it two weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't watch it again. I feel like I need to see riff tracks or something. Oh my one. god, the riff tracks live <laughs> version of Birdemic um, is a must see. I saw that in theaters, and I there were moments I honestly could not breathe. I was laughing <laughs> so damn hard. Oh my gosh! At the riff tracks live Birdemic, shock and all. Oh my gosh! It's amazing. Highly recommend that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to revisit it. And I'm not sure we're going to cover it on Run for Your Lives. Birdemic? Yeah. Oh, you should. I guess it would be a fun <laughs> one. I mean, it would be filled with laughter, but most of our podcasts are anyway. So that probably would fit right in. This is it can't be worse than Thanksgiving. Um, it could be. <laughs> it really could be. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what are some notes that because you said this is your number two it's my number two what are some um, other notes additional notes you have on the birds well you mentioned that you can't leave the theater without looking up 
I grew up on the water, like on an island, and seagulls were everywhere. <laughs> so you can imagine what it was like. You watch this movie, and then you're just, you can't leave the house. You know, oh, it, yeah. it's just creepy. The whole thing, you know, it's just super creepy. Um, I like that because we covered this one on run for your lives there are a few tidbits that i wanted to share just because they're things that stood out to me mm -hmm. they actually trained birds for this movie 3200 birds to be exact and Wait, so Hitchco you mean they weren't they they weren't cgi like they were in birdemic no they weren't well but look at the time period too like it, i think the only way to legitimately do this right would be you would have to train birds. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no other way to do it at that time at that time. Yeah. And um, Hitchcock said the ravens were very clever, but the seagulls were the most vicious. And I'm just like, that totally fits within the realm <laughs> of what you would expect. Um, they did have a couple of different endings planned. One of them was going to show the Golden Gate Bridge completely covered in birds. And I was just like, oh my God. That would have been, that would just, I was already nervous after we got to the end and saw all the birds. This would have pushed me over the edge. I would not have been able to leave the house because the seagulls and everything, no, just would have been crazy. Daphne, we're going on vacation. Where are we going? San Francisco. <laughs> Hell no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, not happening. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to share was about the sea, actually about the seagulls. The only way that they could get them to hang around and do what they were doing, like just hang around, especially with the ending scene, was they fed them a mixture of wheat and whiskey. Wheat and whiskey? Wheat and whiskey. All right. Yeah. I would stick around for wheat and whiskey. <laughs> yeah. So those are just a few things that I wanted to share. Things that stood out to me as far as um, like outside the scope of the movie but i really loved tippy hedron's portrayal of melanie in this movie because she was until the end pretty sassy and i just i liked it yeah no and it's <laughs> it's again it's it's such a at the time it was frightening yeah now i think it's fun it's fun it's because, definitely fun because you realize you're you're, you're old enough now and you realize because again at the time that it came out you know back in 63 something like this had never been done before yeah it, it was new to you know have these birds trained and tell this story about like nature turning on humanity mm -hmm. like a story like that had never been told before so that it's literally like war of the worlds where people mm -hmm. honestly thought the original radio show was aliens actually yeah they us. did like yeah. to the point where people actually committed suicide after hearing the radio show because yeah, they really oh. believed it was actually happening. And this is one of those things that because this had never been done before, you left the theater and you looked at the sky. Yeah. Now we know that unless you have pockets full of birdseed, that's probably not going to happen. That's probably not going to happen. I did think, too. So it's fun to watch. They had, I mean, birds chasing children down the hill. That is not something that you saw in movies during that time where kids were in peril. Like kids just, were kids were usually off limits. Yeah. And he did not. <laughs> there were no rules for Hitchcock. He just basically was like, yep, kids are going to run down the hill running away from birds and you're going to see one or two get attacked. That is not something you ever saw. 
Well, it was it was realism. Yeah. It was... In a situation like that, kids would get attacked. So yes. that's what he did in the movie. Exactly. Kids got attacked. Yeah, he did. He put the realism out there. Yeah. So, yeah. I... So your number three was my number two. And my number two was your number three, which yeah. leads us back to Psycho. Um, yes. We, we kind of covered a lot about that. Um, the only thing I kind of wanted to throw in was something I actually learned as of late. Um, I knew there were sequels mm-hmm. to Psycho. I had never seen any of them because to me, after seeing a movie like Psycho, which is such a masterpiece in my eyes, it's a masterpiece of storytelling. It's a masterpiece of horror. I didn't I, I automatically had it in my head that no sequel is ever going to live up to the original. And I don't think they have. They How- haven't. But however, two. however, I did watch this season. I'm a big fan of Eli Roth's history of horror. Yeah. And the season three just kicked off. And the first episode was sequels that don't suck. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones they chose was actually Psycho 2. Yeah. Which I had never watched. I never even looked into because I stayed away from the from the sequels. But I didn't realize until hearing them talk about the movie that it was actually the return of Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. Just a number of years later. Yes, it was well done. They did a good job with it. And that they actually. And that the sequel is actually really well done. Yeah, it doesn't and- happen a lot. Because Norman Bates, from what they talk about too, um, Norman uh, Anthony Perkins didn't want to do any sequels to Psycho. Like he thought that story was told, mm-hmm. and they uh, they pitched a number of different different sequels to him, and he kept telling them no. And it wasn't until they pitched him what actually became Psycho Two that he agreed to do it. So I may actually end up checking out Psycho Two at some point. I think you should. I really liked it. I actually, believe it or not, saw the second one before I saw the first one. Well, that's interesting. It is. It's it just it wasn't available when I back well, when you rented VHS tapes. The Psycho came out at a time where I could get it, Psycho 2. And the first one just wasn't available. Well, it's also interesting too, because they go over what the story is of the second one, too. And it's a different story in that. Norman is actually trying to be a better person, he is. Yes. but it's the influence of somebody else that actually mm-hmm. drives him back to the point that he was at the end of Psycho. Yeah. So he they... actually was on the verge of becoming a good person, but it's yeah. somebody else that ruins that. Of course. That's how it usually works. And they did also bring Vera Miles back in to be uh, yeah. Marion's sister, which yep. I think really added more clout and consistency between the two. And it's actually Vera's daughter in Psycho 2 that it's it's the work of, of Vera and Vera's daughter together that kind of drive Norman back to yeah. being Norman. From Norman. Psycho. Yeah. yeah. So. Being who he was always meant to be. Exactly. <laughs> but that brings us to our number one picks yes. in our top five. So and I'm, excited. I'm excited about this too, because other than Psycho and the Birds, which I kind of had a feeling were, were going to be in your top five. Yeah. Because I know you well enough that I had a feeling they were going to be in your top five and they were in my top five. But those two were the only two that we share because I don't, mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident we're not sharing number one. 
No, we are not. So you've never seen this one. I can guarantee. Probably not. Which yeah. when you said that to me, I was like, okay, you definitely don't have my number one. Yeah. And I don't have yours. Yeah. That said, what have you got for your number one, Alfred Hitchcock? So my number one is a 19, um, 1955 film that starred a few big names, but they weren't super big at the time. Shirley MacLaine, John Forsyth. Um, it's called Ooh. The Trouble with Harry. Never even heard of this. One. I knew it. I knew you wouldn't have because, yeah. again, it's overlooked. And I remember the first time that I saw this movie. I didn't love it. But I, the next time I saw it, it became my favorite. It's just the story of this small town in Vermont. And the residents are just faced with this. Who done it? Who killed Harry? But the trouble is, it could have been anyone. And no one knows who really killed him until the end. And so they're all like, the entire film is them burying the body and digging him out and burying the body and digging him out and trying to figure out who did it. But it's also kind of a lot. There's a little love story in there. And it's not a typical Hitchcock film. But it still works. All of it works. And I just, you know, at the end of the movie, I just think, how many times can you bury a body? And um, yeah, I just, Shirley MacLaine was very young in this movie and she was just delightful. So You got to love movies that make you ask the question, how many times can you bury a body? <laughs> yes, exactly. That should have been the tagline. I know. I know. This movie um, will make you question, how many times can you bury one body? I know you can hear it in that voice, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It was a simple concept and the story got a little more complicated. The more people got involved with it because at mm -hmm. first it was one person and then another person. And then they started to figure out, well, he didn't do it, but maybe it was this one. And they were all trying to protect each other. And so they would, bury the body and then go dig him out so that he could be found, but then bury him again because they want to protect someone else. And at one point, the poor man who started the whole thing is just waiting at the very beginning to bury the body for the first time. And people just keep showing up and seeing him, but not really noticing the bodies there. Mm -hmm. And at one point he just says, couldn't have more people here if I'd sold tickets. <laughs> because he's just waiting and it yeah it was just it was a delightful movie i really I'm, enjoyed it so much i'm glad to it wouldn't be an episode of wilhelm if i didn't have a movie to add to my list of movies to see. <laughs> so i'm glad i finally have one now because i didn't up until this point it's not you know what and you can take this out it wasn't on that other streaming service that you know about Oh, that's yeah. staying in. It's fine. Yeah. You didn't mention it by name. It's fine. Okay. That other <laughs> streaming service didn't have it. So I had to get it from Amazon. But re I, I own it, but I wanted to watch it on the computer and it just was easier to, to rent it from, from Amazon. It's understood. It's fine. Yeah. But I, yeah, I just really like this one. And it's not a typical movie that hitchcock would do like it just was a very different film and you also had like a very young jerry mathers who of course is leave it to beaver mm -hmm. 
playing this very young, like four-year-old boy. And he's just adorable and quippy and sassy to his mother. And it it's just, it's a really good movie. And it's actually one of Hitchcock's favorite movies that he ever did. I'm going to have to check that out. I will add that to the list of movies I need to watch. All right, good. Parentheses and may never get to. And may never get to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess that leads me to my number one. Uh, my number one is a Hitchcock film starring the wonderful Cary Grant, uh, the lovely Ava Marie Saint, and Mr. James Mason. Uh, my number one is North by Northwest. I had a feeling that was the direction you were going to go in. This is, again, it's very rare that when I'm working on my top fives, I question my number one. My mm-hmm. number one is always the one I'm going like, yeah, that's my number one. Yeah. This is the only Hitchcock film I have watched in the last like four or five years mm-hmm. because I just... I love this movie. I it is without a doubt my favorite Hitchcock film. It's kind of like a James Bond non-James Bond movie. It is. It's the <laughs> it's it's the mistaken hero mm-hmm. because he's not meant to be. No. Um he's it's mistaken identity and he's just run on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And it's another movie that there are elements that just run through pop culture. The scene um, of Roger Thornhill running from the biplane is oh, that... so iconic <laughs> that yeah, other definitely other movies have done it. It's been spoofed in Family Guy. Um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade even did their own version of it with the Nazi biplane coming after Indy and his dad. Yeah, like it's. And not only that, but I mean, like this, this is an adventure in the truest sense when it comes to Hitchcock. Like this is you talk about like the biplane chase. You talk about climbing on Mount Rushmore like this is an adventure film. It is. Which, and he didn't do a lot of those. No, like he, this was different. This was this a was rarity a coming one. from Hitchcock. Yeah, it was definitely different for him. And it's it's one of those reasons now. He did do another movie that's kind of similar, like uh, North by Northwest was 1959. So we're end of the 50s. Um, And I'm actually giving away one of my honorable mentions now. But he did another movie called The 39 Steps. Yes. From 1935, which is also in my honorable mentions, um, which is actually a very similar. It's it's kind of a similar story. It's a it's a mistaken identity. Mm -hmm. Um you know, person on the run kind of a story, but North by Northwest takes that story and just amps it up. And it's just so much more adrenaline filled for what it could be at that time. Yeah. Like this is one of those movies. I don't like to see classic movies remade North by Northwest. I might make an exception for I know. I wonder how they could bring it to life and like bring it up to something modern without going down the road of like James Bond, but making it stand out and be iconic on its own. I actually wouldn't even mind it still being a period piece and taking place in the 50s, but just with with more modernized filmmaking technique and just make it a little more like kind of like 
turn the adrenaline up a little bit more. Yeah. You know, still make it take place in the 50s. And it's the CIA and, and whoever, you know, is, is chasing him. The, the government's after him. Keep the story elements the same. Modernize the filmmaking. The filmmaking. Yeah. And, that could be. Yeah. And that make could it like, really... like a do an actual reboot. I would yeah. accept that. Okay. I actually like to see it. Yeah, please. Um, you have to tread carefully with Hitchcock and remakes because we could get a rear window remake that was actually decent with like with Christopher Reeve. Or you or... could get a psycho with Vince Vaughn. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there was that. I mean, and that was legitimately <laughs> like a shot for shot remake. It was. And that psycho. just makes it worse. Yeah, no, they I know. I don't their, know they didn't if they put could... their own twist on it. No, and I don't. Yeah, that is a movie that should never have been made. On I the like list Vince... of movies that should never be made, I, I like, like Vince, Vince Vaughn, Vaughn also, yeah. but that was just a bad idea. I agree. So, um, yeah, that was a great top five. So we can knock out a couple honorable mentions at All this right. point. I really don't have many left because we've talked about. We mentioned Rebecca, Rear Window, and 39 Steps. So um, I only have two left, so I'll, I'll start with you. What's what, another one of your honorable mentions? Okay, so Vertigo was on my list already. My number six is a movie called Marnie, and it starred Tippi Hedren and Sean Connery. It's basically a con artist. Tippi Hedren plays this con artist, and her victims comes one of her victims comes back to blackmail her. And then she, her traumatic past is uncovered. It's really well done. Grace Kelly was supposed to play the lead role, but she backed out. Mm -hmm. um, another movie that I really like, Strangers on a Train. Strangers it's, on a Train is one of my two. Yeah, Strangers on a Train. I only um, have one left. <laughs> two strangers meet by chance on a train, decide to commit murder. After one follows through, the other doesn't really want to so that yeah. kind of goes down a weird road um then there's rope which was 1948 rope's a good choice too rope is a good one i forgot um, about that one i think oh shadow of a doubt was my last one okay yeah. uh yeah the only one i have left that i didn't i didn't get to mention all the other ones have been mentioned over the course of the conversation <laughs> uh the only one i have left is notorious from 1946 Ooh. Ooh, that is one I have not seen in quite some time. Uh, another Carrie, another Cary Grant led uh, Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah, he so, stuck. He really did try to stick with the ones that he could trust. He like he the went, actors he, he went wanted. with who he knew. Yeah. Um, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that he knew he. I'm sure when he was figuring out which film he was going to do. He had in mind who he wanted to work with. He thought about the character and he said, yeah, Jimmy Stewart would work for this and Cary Grant would work for this one. I think he, it's interesting that he worked with all, with these actors more than once, but I really think that he also wanted to stay and connect the character to the actors of the character, basically, yeah. and make it's, sure that he made the right choice. It's interesting because on the list of actors that I have, for Wilhelm episodes. I didn't really go as far back as like Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant. And I really should, because there are a number of phenomenal movies. Um, Cary Grant is another great example. Like it would be really tough for me. Cary Grant would be a good example as to, it would be difficult for me to choose my number one. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. I haven't okay. seen a lot of his, but of the ones that I've seen, North by Northwest would be very would be a contender for number one, along with Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah, be really which, hard to. Uh... I freaking love Arsenic and Old Lace. Like that is such a great, like fun, rainy or snowy day. Like just sitting on the couch watching a classic comedy movie. I love yeah. it. Um. I was going to bring up to you, Jimmy Stewart was in a movie that I thought that you'd like to see. Did you ever see You've Got Mail? The Tom Hanks, Meg mm-hmm. Ryan? Yeah. I have. Yeah. There was a movie before that, way, way back, called The Shop Around the Corner. I've heard of it. Yes. Jimmy Stewart. It's, you really need to check it out around Christmas. It's okay. really good. Yeah. I, I will have it a lot. I will have to check that one because I do. I do like Jimmy Stewart. So yeah, it's really endearing and sweet. And it's not that you've got mail was based on it. You've got mail is kind of a reimagining of it in a more modern setting. And it's the called original. The, sh- the shop yeah, around the, the corner. The shop around the corner. All right. If you I think will... about it, that was the name of her of um, Meg Ryan's characters store was the shop around the corner well it makes a lot of sense then yeah yeah you have to check that out i think you'd Uh, like it i will have to yeah i'm gonna add that one to the list yeah he's another one that like to do an episode of like i would have to really choose my co-host for that one you would very carefully um and it would probably be an older person like i'm not, not i'm not gonna lie about that yeah i think you have to have someone who really appreciates his crap his craft the way he brought characters to the screen because he was he's just an icon it's not something i mean if you think about it him and cary grant the way that they were icons i'm just not sure that they're there are actors today that i consider to be like icons but not in the same way that jimmy stewart or cary grant were it's just a different world right now you know it's a different world yeah yeah. They're just different. You can't consider them the same. It's just different. They're they're classics in their own right, along with the films that they were in. Yes. I mean, you I mean, a number of people like if you ask anybody today, like the younger generation today who Jimmy Stewart was, nobody knows. They have no idea. No, nobody knows. Who he is. And even if you go a little older and ask those people, most of those people will go with it's it's a wonderful life, mm-hmm. but they would not be able to name at least two or three other movies. No, they wouldn't. No. And that's sad because that was a golden era of filmmaking. I mean, it really was. Every I mean, every generation brings something different, but there's so much to be appreciated when you think about these earlier films. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, and I haven't seen any of them in years, but I could name at least five to ten more Jimmy Stewart movies, like off the top yeah. of my head right now. Yeah. I won't because this isn't a Jimmy Stewart episode of, of Well <laughs> No, but it connects you. But I, I mean, you think about it. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the fact that Hitchcock used him so often. He did. There's yeah. a reason for that. Yeah. He was an amazing he, actor. He worked with so many great ones, though. I mean, like in Marnie, he worked with Sean Connery. And it, you just look at it and think about all the different people that he was able to work with, like early on in their careers. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Um, great job on the lists. Um, I'm really happy with the way those lists turned out because there really wasn't a lot of overlap. Mm -mm. 
no. other than Psycho and the Birds, but I was yeah. I was fully expecting that. Yeah. So Me that too. wasn't that wasn't much of a surprise. Yeah. Um let's let's get back to Run for Your Lives. All right. Uh before we get ready to get out of here, tell the listeners what the podcast is, where what you do with it, where they can find it. Okay. So Hank and I have this really great podcast called Run for Your Lives, as we've talked about a little bit earlier. We talk about monster movies, disaster films, creature features, anything basically that will make you run for your lives. It could be a slasher film. It could be Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I mean, we pretty much run the gamut of whatever we feel like we connect to our theme is what we do. The last two weeks, we have done this double dip, that's what Pate calls it, of Dawn of the Dead. We did the original 1978, which was, of course, George A. Romero. It's a classic. And then we did, um, most recently, last week, we posted the 2004 Zack Snyder remake Dawn of the Dead. The 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake, but I actually consider it more of a reimagining of the film. I agree with you. I listened to both episodes and I know Paik as well as a number of your listeners have said that the 2004 Zack Snyder version is their favorite zombie movie. Um, The original Dawn of the Dead is, uh, don't get me wrong, I really, as much shit as I give (laughs) Zack Snyder and I give him a lot of it, especially for the DC stuff, uh, I really enjoyed his reimagining of Dawn of the Dead. Me too. Me too. I, the original Dawn of the Dead, though, is still to this day my favorite true zombie film. Mine too. It's yeah. what introduced me to the genre. And honestly, I look at it as it was a gateway. You know, all that time ago when I saw it, it was the it was the movie that my sister and I would rent every week. My mom got sick of it. She'd take us to rent movies and she'd be like, oh, not that one again. You've already seen it. You can quote it by now. But we, I I just, I loved it. I loved the whole concept of it. And it really did give me my, you know, start to build my love of zombies. And if I look at, you know, all these years later, all the cool things that have come because of zombies in my life, honestly, um, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I don't know what you're talking about, actually. I I think, you know, (laughs) Um, the cool stuff and connections and stuff that have come from that. So I'm really excited. Um, it was cool for Pake and I to do this because his favorite is the 2004. Mine is the 1978. So we just did both of them because yeah. we thought it would be something cool to do. And it was a nice dynamic between, yeah. the, between the two. Yeah. So we, And he had never seen the original. So it was even more fun. I don't think he had seen it. No. That's a shame. <laughs> I know. He has he's seen it now. He's seen it now. There have been movies that he has watched for the first time because of this podcast. And there are more movies that he'll probably watch for the first time because of the podcast. I mean, so. and you, you, you guys really do cover some great movies in there and some not so great movies as well. We do. Uh, and, and you, you know, they're not so great when you cover them. So yeah. it's not like it's you're, you're touting off about how great this movie is when, the rest of the world's like, uh, no, thanks. Killing is not a great no at all. No, um, we we do holiday specials around Halloween and we just do some fun. We come up with different ideas all the time. And 
if anyone wants to give it a listen, we are, you can find the links to everything you need by going to runforyourlivespodcast.com. Nice. One-stop shop for everything. One-stop shop for everything. Um, I think you, you did neglect to mention one, um, very important part of the podcast though. And that is that, uh, occasionally you have this person come on and deliver <laughs> these monologues, amazing monologues <laughs> of, we do. of iconic film scenes. Yes. Um, uh, most notably president Whitmore's speech from independence day. Yes. I can't remember who it was that came on and did that. Um, it might've been you, but yes. he was, he was great. So, yes. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Ben came on to talk about Independence Day with us and we did it as our Fourth of July special. And he did a wonderful monologue for Independence Day at the end, complete with the music in the background. I put it the was, music behind it and everything. Uh, it was so great. <laughs> so great. And he's he's going to be coming back really soon to talk about another movie. It's not a holiday special, but... It's it's not a holiday special, but listen, you don't want to miss a thing. No, it's you don't. <laughs> and if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, definitely go over and check out Run for Your Lives with Daphne Paik. It's great. I, like I said, I listen to it as well. Um, and occasionally, it's not all the time, but you do have some guests every once some guest calls. We do. We space it out. I like to. Yeah, I like to space it out. Um, the next guest that we have coming on. Is our good friend Greg, and we're going to talk about Camp Cretaceous season one. I actually thought of one, another one I would have liked to have done with you, but I actually would have liked to have done it this month because it's appropriate for the season. And if not this year, maybe next year, um, I would love to come on and do Freddy versus Jason. Ooh, we could do that. that because be now, fun. because with that, you're blending two franchises, but it's also a yes. standalone film. It is from those it franchises. Is. I liked that one too. I did like. Too. I feel like there's some good stuff in there, and I also feel like like anyone who was a fan of both of the, of the series of movies, we were waiting for that to happen. Oh, that movie had been in developmental hell for about a decade. Because yeah. it got it we got set up. It got set up at the end of a Friday the Thirteenth movie. The movie, the the there's one Friday the Thirteenth movie, and I can't, I think it's five, where literally like Jason's mask is lying on the ground on the dirt, and Freddy's glove comes up, grabs it, and pulls it. And we're like, "Is this really happening?" Yes, we're getting and it. And it took ten years yep. for that movie to finally happen, and it was worth to me, in my opinion worth every minute of it the wait. was worth the wait worth i really enjoyed it so much and i think it's actually underrated i think people look at it as being this slasher film just another slasher film in the series and i don't think it was i nope. think i agree it was the movie we were all waiting for so maybe next year maybe next year I, maybe that next, could be maybe next halloween season i get to come on and talk maybe, Freddy versus jason with the two of you maybe we'll do a spooktober type thing next year and yeah. do a whole bunch of spooky ones yeah. we've been doing like the hollow the new halloween series that has been coming out the next one comes out i believe next week next week yeah so yes we'll be covering that soon too and we're also doing um i think the episode that actually drops when you when this episode drops the same day, same day is 10 Cloverfield Lane, which 
I'm so excited to hear your <laughs> thoughts because I love that movie. It only took us a year to come back to this because Cloverfield was our second episode. So it took us a long time to get back to it. Eh, not that not too long. So uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely go and check out Run for Your Lives. It's it's just it's a great fun podcast. And Daphne and Paker are awesome at what they do. Oh, thanks for saying that. I'm still um, feel like I'm new to podcasting, but I'm having such a great time. You are, but you're learning as you go. And it's yeah, you know. Anybody who listens, can, you can hear that you the biggest thing about it is that you can like you can tell that you guys are enjoying what you do. Yeah. And that's the most important part of, of, of putting together a podcast. Yeah. We have so much fun. It's really just. Yeah. It's two people that love a genre of movies and just enjoy, you know, getting to nerd out over it. So, yeah. Uh, as for this podcast, as for Wilhelm, if you like what you hear, uh, be sure to leave a review of the show on whatever podcasting platform you listen to uh, or you listen on. The more reviews, the more people I get to reach. So the more reviews that you leave, the better it helps the show. Uh, also, be sure to follow Wilhelm on social media on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the Wilhelm podcast. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at the Wilhelm pod. I will be more active on both of those, I promise. <laughs> uh, finally, if you want to be a guest or have an idea for a topic or theme you want to hear me cover, film franchise, debate you want to hear me settle, movie you want to hear me take a deep dive into, whatever, uh, you can let me know by messaging me at any of the places I mentioned, or you can email me directly at thewilhelmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, continuing on with Spooktober, next week, uh, my guest will be our friend Damien. First time Ooh. coming on the podcast, um, but he is the host of his own podcast called I Watched It in the 80s, which is a great. It's so much fun. It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, and it's appropriate because he's coming on to talk about the Ghostbusters franchise. Ooh, so much. There's so, so much fun in that franchise. So and, much fun. And, and all three of the movies we're going to be talking about. I know people don't consider the all female one part of the franchise, but it is. <laughs> uh, and we're gonna we're gonna throw out some predictions as to what we would like to see from the new Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is going to be releasing next month. Yeah, so, I from what I've seen with the previews, at first I thought I don't really want to watch this, but I watched one of the previews. I feel like I have to see it now. There, there are people out there who have seen the movie already and say that it is lovingly nostalgic. Oh, so that right there already I it had me on Paul Rudd like I'm not gonna lie well that it, it had me usually, at Paul Rudd. yeah that's usually you know a deal breaker as far as in the positive way like yeah. if you see his name you definitely want to be he getting he, on that train he's on the very short list of actors that I will watch pretty much anything he does uh along with Hugh Jackman Ryan Reynolds and Tom Hanks um, like, I want to know how Paul Rudd has managed to look the same. Uh, because, uh, blood. Because I look at him now and I still see the same guy that was in Clueless. He's he's not immortal. I know no. some people think otherwise because in the trailer for Ghostbusters, there's definitely one or two close-up scenes where you can see the crow's feet and he's okay. he's starting to show a little older, but he's still doesn't look much different than like it, clueless i feel like he has a young spirit too like in in the roles he plays and and even outside of that he just really seems to have a young spirit and i think that shows through too 
in people that even as they age. I, f- I feel like he probably told the makeup artists on Ghostbusters Afterlife, make me look a little, make, make me look a little older. They're on to me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, boy. Uh, well, but thank, thank you. Thank you, Daphne, for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. This was I'm, a great time. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Me too. Uh, you'll be back on again, I'm sure. Yes, we have a couple more in the works for yeah. the future. For sure. Um, but to everybody out there, as I do at the end of every episode, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the audience and for making this podcast what it is. Thank you for the the feedback that I constantly get. It means so much to me. As I tell everybody, tell two or three of your friends to check out this podcast. That's all I ask. Uh, again, I mentioned Ghostbusters coming up. We've got horror movies to wrap up the month. Next month in November, we're going to do a, a Matrix episode, which is going to be a lot of fun because the new Matrix comes out in December. December, we're going to be going doing another holiday month with more holiday episodes. And then January is James Bond month, which is all James Bond movies throughout the month of January. It's going to be fun. Uh, thank you for guys for listening. But until next time, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care.